My junior year of college, I studied abroad for the spring semester in Senegal, West Africa. Uh, this was before having an understanding of, of being a Messianic Jew and using that term. So at the time, I said I was a Jewish Christian in a Muslim country. Uh, I remember that they had a, a festival there. It's called Tabaski. Um, it's still celebrated in Muslim countries in Africa. And uh, it's basically a celebration of the near sacrifice of Abraham's son. Um, but in, in Senegal, uh, the Muslim country that I was, they say that the near sacrifice was Ishmael, according to the Quran, and not Isaac, according to the Torah. Uh, for this festival, they actually, they sacrifice a goat or a similar animal like that, and it represents the goat that was slain instead of Abraham's son. And uh, in, in the tradition, the goat or the sheep takes the place of a person's sins, similar to uh, Passover. I actually got to witness this ritual uh, in the host family I was staying with. And uh, when they asked if uh, I wanted to help slaughter the goat that was there, I said, um, no, thank you. Um, my sacrifice was already made. Um, but I also, I didn't really want to slaughter a goat either. Um, was not, uh, wasn't pleasant. Um, I always thought it was interesting that Muslims remember the same story in the Bible, but with Ishmael instead. Uh, because of the writings of Muhammad, Ishmael has become a symbol and a precursor to Islam. Uh, when I was in Israel, uh, there were a number of um, kind of biblically-based uh, statues. Basically, it was an art exhibit in an outdoor mall, and I, and I saw this one. I thought it was really interesting if we have a photo. So this is Abraham, Avraham, and he has, he's holding up uh, two spheres, and the one on our left, on his right, says Yitzchak, which means Isaac. And the other one uh, on our right says Yishmael, which means Ishmael. So on the left, we have the son that uh, Abraham nearly sacrificed on Mount Moriah, but who God had spared, and he provided a ram, the son that he had in his old age. And on the right, Ishmael. Uh, the son that he had with his servant Hagar when he was anxious for an heir. And this, this statue, uh, I think, represents the conflict between Jews and Muslims in the land of Israel, which, of course, is increasing and growing more tense even in our days. But that is another sermon, which I will someday soon hope to tackle. For right now, I'm interested in the question of Ishmael, Given that the Torah came first, before the rise of Islam, we want to ask, who is Ishmael? Who is the son of the servant woman, Hagar? We cannot be content to accept what Ishmael has come to symbolize. We need to go back to the source and to the Midrash on Ishmael to find the original purpose of this story. What do the scriptures say about Ishmael? If Ishmael does not represent the Muslims in the Bible, then whom does the Ishmael of the Bible really represent? And what can we learn from his story? Let's start 
with a passage from the Torah portion this week. Um, This is in Genesis 21, verses 8 through 10. And this is what we find. The child, being Yitzhak, or Isaac, grew and was weaned. And Avraham gave a great banquet on that day that Yitzhak was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom Hagar had born to Avraham, making fun of Yitzhak. So Sarah said to Abraham, throw this slave girl out and her son. I will not have this slave girl's son as your heir along with my son, Yitzhak. To Abraham and Sarah, Ishmael was a symbol of them kind of taking matters into their own hands, trying to get an heir for themselves. But then God miraculously provided Isaac to be their heir and the hope of God's covenantal promise to Abraham to bless his descendants. But who is Ishmael apart from just the result of Abraham's misstep? Well, perhaps the name, the names here can provide an important clue. First, we have Isaac's name, Yitzchak, which means, does anyone know? Laughter, right. Okay, so his name means laughter, and it comes from the story of Sarah, who was laughing when she heard that she would have a son in her old age. Um, In this passage, the one I just read, the word for make fun of, when it says Ishmael makes fun of Isaac, is mitzachek. And this is from the same root as Yitzchak. So essentially, Yishmael, Ishmael, was laughing at laughter. You see that? You see the connection? Um, To me, this makes Ishmael more of a sympathetic character. We keep in mind that in in Hebrew, names are a part of identity, and they're connected. So we could surmise that that Ishmael is relating to Isaac uh, on his identity. He's mitzachek toward Yitzchak. Um, There's also a connection there beyond, um, it's different from the other brother conflicts. There's a lot of brother conflicts in Genesis. So we have Cain versus Abel. We have Jacob versus Esau. But Ishmael is different, right? For one thing, he's circumcised. He's circumcised. So he takes on the sign of the covenant, and he's uh, as a child of Abraham. And also, uh, he comes back to bury Abraham when he dies, along with his brother Isaac. And as for Ishmael's name, uh, his name means God will hear, as in God will respond to our prayers. God cares about us. Can you hear the word Shema, which is here in Ishmael? But when does God show himself that he will hear Ishmael and Hagar? Well, in the very next passage, um, after Sarah tells Abraham to cast them out, God shows that he will hear. And this is what it says in uh, the same chapter, in, starting in verse 11. Avraham became very distressed over the matter of his son. But God said to Avraham, don't be distressed because of the boy and your slave girl. Listen to everything Sarah says to you, because it is your descendants through Yitzchak who will be counted. But I will also make a nation from the son of the slave girl, that is, a nation from Ishmael, since he is descended from you. Avraham got up early in the morning, took bread and skin of water, and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and he sent her away. After leaving, she wandered in the desert around Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she left the child under a bush and went and sat down, looking the other way, 
about a bow's shot distance from him because she said, I can't bear to watch my child die. She sat there looking the other way, crying out and weeping. And God heard the boy's voice. Ishmael, God hears. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's wrong with you, Hagar? Don't be afraid because God has heard the voice of the boy in his present situation. Get up, lift the boy up and hold him tightly in your hand because I'm going to make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went, filled the skin with water and gave the boy water to drink. God was with the boy. God was with Ishmael and he grew. He lived in the desert and became an archer. He lived in the Paran Desert, and his mother chose a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And we all know that a wife is a great blessing as well. In other words, God is close to the weak and broken, and he is faithful to the promises, even when his people, like Abraham, take a misstep. In the original story of Ishmael, he represents the idea that God hears us, that God has compassion on us. Ishmael represents God's compassion, not just for Isaac and his descendants, but for all of his children. So we've seen what Ishmael represents in the original text. But interestingly, in the Brit Chadashah, the apostle Shaul does a midrash on this piece of the Parsha. So he's, he's also reading the Torah portion, and he, uh, he shares a midrash, which is uh, basically an explanation of, of the allegory. So essentially, we have a, a, a biblical midrash. We have a, a, a God-inspired midrash in the New Covenant writings. Isn't that awesome? All right, so let's take a look at it. It's in Galatians 4, verses 21 through 25. Let's see what Paul thinks of this passage. He says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Now, let me pause right here and take a little breather because this is a heavy passage. Galatians, the the book of Galatians, has been interpreted over the years in a certain way. And usually, it's like this. Those who are under the law those must be the Jews. And the son of the slave woman, Ishmael, represents those under the law, under the old covenant. And Isaac represents the Christians who are not under law, but under grace. This is the way the passage has been taken, has been interpreted over the years. All right? So we'll continue reading. Verse 26 through 31. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman 
than of her who has a husband. And this is a quote from Isaiah that Paul is giving. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. My research in, uh, in this, for this sermon, it led me to a book called The Holy Epistle to the Galatians, and it's by a Messianic Jewish leader named uh, D. Thomas Lancaster. And it's a really remarkable book. It's, it's published by First Fruits of Zion, and uh, I got it in the bookstore. And uh, it really helped me with uh, the revelations that are in Galatians. It's kind of a controversial book. So the first idea that I learned is that the two covenants represented are not the old covenant and the new covenant, but the covenant at Sinai with Moses and the covenant with Abraham. So they're actually both in the Old Testament, in the, in the, in the Tanakh. And why do I say this? Because that's what it says in the text, right? It says one covenant is from Mount Sinai, right, which is the giving of the law, and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. In the previous chapter, uh, in Galatians 3, Paul is building an argument about the two covenants that he's talking about in chapter 4. And Paul makes this statement in 3.17. He says, what I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. So what's the previous covenant 430 years earlier? That is the covenant with Abraham. In other words, the one covenant that God made with Moses, with the Torah, to keep the Torah, it does not undo the covenant with Abraham, where Abraham was made righteous by faith. The introduction of the Torah does not change the fact that we are justified or made right with God through faith in Yeshua, just as Abraham was. Otherwise, Abraham would have no way to be right with God because he was made righteous 430 years before the law was ever given. So that takes care of the two covenant question. But then who does Ishmael represent in this scenario? To tackle this issue, we must understand that in Paul's time, there were two kinds of Gentiles. There were two kind of modes of thought in the Messianic synagogue. There were proselytes who believed that you had to convert to Judaism, that you had to be circumcised and take on the whole of Torah to be included in the people of God. And there were proselytes, uh, God-fearers, who maintained their identity as Gentiles. In the book that I mentioned, Lancaster argues that Ishmael represents Gentiles who say you must become Jewish to be children of Abraham. And Isaac represents the Gentiles who say you can remain a Gentile and still be a child of Abraham and still be right with God. He writes, the discussion contrasts two different types of B'nai Avraham, two different types of children, two different types of proselytes. The parable, as it turns out, is actually about two different types of Gentile believers. 
The children to whom Hagar gives birth by natural means, Sinai and the present Jerusalem, are Gentile believers undergoing legal conversion in order to become Jewish. They are proselytes going through a physical or fleshly conversion, unquote. Is there any evidence to support this claim that Lancaster is making? I believe there is. First, Paul tells the Galatians not to get circumcised, which means that his audience must be Gentile disciples of Yeshua, not Jews, because the Jews would already be circumcised. Furthermore, he refers to those who are under the law. What does it mean, the ones that are under the law? Well, he's not writing to Jews, so it can't be to the Jews. In Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, Paul uses the same words, under the law, right? And he makes a similar argument, and this is what he says. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And a few lines later, in verse 31, he says, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. If we're to uphold the law, that means we are to follow it. So if we're not under the law, that doesn't mean that we don't do the law. In Paul's writings, it doesn't mean that Jews should not keep Torah, but rather we should not be under the doctrine that following the law makes us right with God. One does not have to convert to Judaism in order to be right with God. Otherwise, Gentiles who were not given the Torah would have no way to be righteous. This is consistent with many of Paul's letters, where he argues for the doctrine of salvation by faith alone, clearly stating that Gentiles do not have to convert to Judaism to be a child of Abraham, to be a child of God, to be saved, or to be righteous. Paul is not against Torah and Judaism. He is against making Gentiles become Jewish for the sake of becoming the people of God. Lancaster goes on to say, Paul told the Gentile God-fearers of Galatia, you brothers like Isaac are children of the promise. Unquote. Uh, Paul contrasted them against those Gentile believers who had undergone legal halakhic conversion. To Paul, the God-fearing Gentile who remained a Gentile was a child of the promise that God made to Abraham. All nations will be blessed in your seed. Paul likened the God-fearing Gentile believer to Isaac, who was also a child of the same covenant promise. And that's also from Lancaster's writing. So when Paul was urging them to cast out the slave woman, he was urging a casting out of this false doctrine. Paul was showing that Gentiles and Jews are all made right with God, are all children of Abraham by faith in Messiah Yeshua. So we have seen that rather than representing Muslims or representing Jews, Ishmael actually represents two important ideas in Scripture. Number one, God will hear. God hears the brokenhearted, and he answers us when we need him. And number two, the justification with God is not from keeping the Torah. Of course, as Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles join to our community, we do keep the Torah. But this is because of calling and identity. Ishmael 
is an object lesson for Paul's communities and for ours. Gentiles do not have to become Jewish, but are fully in the people of God by faith in Yeshua, as we all are. There are legitimate reasons for Gentiles to convert to, to, convert to Judaism. Uh, there, are, there are good reasons to convert, um, which I will not go into and in, get into in this sermon. But being a child of Abraham or being right with God, those are not reasons to convert. May the identity and parable of Ishmael remind us of how Hashem looks at us. He hears us. He hears our prayers. And he makes us right with him apart from what we do. He reaches out to Jews and Gentiles with the same message of his love and acceptance. He does not want us to strive to become something that we're not. He made us how he made us. It was his choice to make us the way he made us with our everything all about our personality and where we're from and um, our gender and our hair color, everything, right? And he has made us this way because he wants all of us to come to him through Yeshua. We do not have to become Jewish if we're not, and we should not assimilate into the nations if we are Jewish, but we should be content with how God calls all people to himself by faith in Yeshua. We should rejoice in our identity in God because he delights in us, he loves us, and he hears us when we call on him. Remember the name Yishmael, God will hear. Amen.